Hello and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast. I'm Josiah and I'm normally joined by my wife, Angiska. We were missionaries for seven years until we stepped back in 2019 to seek health and re-examine our beliefs. Right now, I am a Christian, but not an evangelical. And my wife is an agnostic and also very much not an evangelical. And we are deconstructing and reconstructing together. And you can subscribe to our podcast anywhere that podcasts are found, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Play, and um, subscribe for more content. And today, um, I was, uh, we had a great podcast a couple days, was it two days ago, I think, with Lee. And uh, Lee's okay, Lee. Hey, Lee, how's it going? Hey. Um, yeah, and, and we heard your story a bit, and then that kind of touched on a few, um, a, a few interesting topics. The thing that Christians and atheists get up to pretty often online is debating. And, uh, you know, so it was your story. It was a time for you just to express your thought, your thought process. Um, and so I didn't, you know, we went back and forth a little bit, but none of us really went into it. But then since then, we've been kind of corresponding on Facebook and saying, hey, wouldn't it be fun to actually kind of debate these things? Um, and so, yeah, this is what we're going to do is we want to jump into some of those things that we just briefly touched on in that previous podcast and see if we can get a little bit, you know, a little bit more clarity on this. Um, a few things I want to say right off the bat is I am hopped up. I, I am adrenaline kind of vibrating, which is why I'm talking faster than I usually do. <laughs> Just because it's whatever day it is, it's, it's January 6th and everything is happening on Capitol Hill. Um, I was going to take a nap and I was like, oh, let's just look at Twitter and scroll through to, you know, kind of distract myself. And I was like, what is going on? Um, so we're not going to talk about that, but I, I'm just kind of, I'm wired a little bit. So I'll just let people know that. Um, and the other thing I want to say on a more serious note is um, there's people that come to these sorts of debates because they've got ego issues and they've got something to prove. And what I've sensed and I've definitely been in that camp many times. Um, what I've sensed from you and why I'm excited about this is I don't, I don't sense that from you. You're comfortable in who you are. I'm comfortable in who I am. I don't think you're going to hell. Um, I don't think you're going to hell any more because of your beliefs than otherwise. I don't exactly know what I believe about that right now, but um, I do love debate and I love just talking about these things because I feel like it just, it, it helps us be better people to have really good discussions about ethics and about philosophy and about the origins of things. So as we mentioned in our, in our back and forth on Facebook, we're just going to have a great debate or a great discussion. And it's not about who wins and who loses. It's just about exploring these ideas um, and, and kind of seeing both sides of them. And then, you know, listeners can know these issues more clearly and perhaps uh, make up their own mind. Does that sound fair? Is there anything you want to say? It's just kind of introductory, stuff before we jump in no I'm, I'm ready to jump in that all sounds good okay so the first argument we had talked about was the called the Kalam cosmological argument and this one is developed by William Lane Craig and it goes basically everything that begins to exist has a cause the universe has the universe begins to exist therefore the universe has a cause and if people aren't aware, the second premise of that argument uh, is related to Einstein, Albert Einstein, who developed the theory of rel relativity, which proves that the universe is expanding. 
at a certain fixed rate. And so something can't be expanding forever. That is where they came up with realizing that there was the big bang, because if it's expanding, it must've started somewhere. Um, so like I said in the, in the last podcast, I mean, this is, I don't have much to say on this. Um, it, it is one of the better or one of the best arguments for the existence of God, I believe <clears throat> that's out there. Um, my, one of the, my objections would be to the, the first premise, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Um, as far as we know, the only thing that has began to exist is the universe. Um, a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, there's a table there, you know, you know, if it, it just popped out of nowhere, you know, that would be impossible. Like we're still talking about something that is not coming from nothing. The universe is here and that table is made up of basic parts. Um, I, I don't mean to get into like neurological nihilism or stuff here, but like anything that we can conceive of existing is only a rearrangement of of fundamental parts and so it, the name of what it is or the function it, it's just an arbitrary label we put on it and it, it's it's nothing new and so we don't actually we can't actually say whatever begins to exist has a cause because we have no experience with that um and it, it, the, the only thing that we were aware of that began to exist was the universe itself and the, and the particles in the universe um, so I, I think the way it would be rewritten there is the universe began to exist. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe exists is what that argument would turn into. Yeah, and I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I do think it's uh, a bit of a confusion of the word begin to exist because uh, what that's referring to is there are some things that have always existed, such as math such as uh, the principles of logic, um, such as um, if you think of virtue as being eternal or, or something like that. Uh, and then there's things that come into existence. Uh, the world was not here a certain time ago, and then it was here. Uh, this pencil was not here, and then it was here. And you're right that everything that we observe around us came into being from something else. There was causation. And... Um, Aristotle has uh, defined four types of causation. There's the material that it's made of. There's the form that it's made into. Um, there's the person or agency that created that, that made it a carpenter or an explosion or something. And then there's the final cause, like why this pencil was made. Um, so everything that we see beginning to exist you know, it, now it's a form, now it's a being, now it's something I can hold in my hand. There is something that came before it that caused it. So um, I think what you heard me say, or what you understand the argument was, uh, as begins to exist, meaning creation from nothing. And the point of the second of the first premise is that there is no creation from nothing. That's a Christian concept, creation ex nihilo, but even that is not really from nothing, it's creation from God. So the point of that is to say there's things that exist and never change. That's one category of things. And there's things that exist temporarily. They came into being. And all those things that exist temporarily had something before them that caused them to come into being. Am I losing you? Are you losing me? Uh, um, 
you, you cut out for a second there, but I think I got the okay. gist of it. Um, back okay. to what you were saying about things like, uh, like math and uh, like those to me, those uh, there's nothing eternal about those. There's nothing intrinsically valuable about virtue. Um, those are just descriptions of what is here. I, and, you know, uh, something like logic, people talk about the, you know, the, the laws of logic and everything, o almost as if it is something intrinsic or uh, uh, something, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Uh, it, it's, um, though that is just a, a mechanism that, that we use to, to navigate this world that we're in. I don't see it being anything more than that. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm trying to remember all the other things you said. Uh, so you're talking about the, what I was saying was that the only instance of something coming, I, I, I meant it in a way of something coming from nothing, that whatever begins to exist yeah. has a cause, the universe began to exist, the universe came out of nothing. Um, when you're talking about like, you know, like, yeah, like a table coming into existence and there being something that caused that, um, when we talk about what God is, he is, is, completely completely outside of this world he's timeless he's you know, all, all these things and so what we are may have come you could say it came from him but it it came still came from nothing there was nothing here before it now things that are are made in this world are made from what he has created so i i still would argue that it came from nothing because I don't think this matter is is part of, of I don't know if you say God's realm. It's something he he created out of nothing, um, and so I, I do still think it's it's different there. Um, there was no universe. There is a universe. It's not in God's universe. He made uh, uh, out of his sandbox. He made something. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think I hear what you're saying. Uh, okay, so. Yeah, perhaps that's just, and maybe that is consistent with uh, the Christian term ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. Um, and you're saying that, yeah, that whether you're a Christian or you're an atheist, you believe that the universe came out of nothing. And so um, yeah. that's, so there, therefore this law does not apply, uh, whatever comes to exist. Okay, actually, that only answers one of the one of the levels of causation, uh, because there's four types of causation that I mentioned, and there's different ways people can divide this. But there's material causation, which is what you're talking about, that there was something materially before this, uh, before there's an apple tree, there's an apple seed, before the apple seed, you know, whatever, uh, before the pencil, there was a tree. So materially, there was nothing before, but there was a formal cause in the sense of there was the word there was an idea in God's mind and there was the um, what's it called the efficient cause God did something he decided to do something and there's the final cause in the sense of God has some reason for doing it so I hear what you're saying as far as there there was no material cause for the universe but there was causation in the sense that somebody did something it didn't just poof, all of a sudden pop into existence and all of a sudden we had this universe um, there, there was somebody caught or something caused this. Yeah, th this is where I don't know how far I want to go because it, I'm not entirely convinced of this. It, it's, it's something that I have thought about though. 
so say we don't get to God yet. We, we're talking about, like sure. when I'm talking about material coming from nothing, um, it is possible, like, I'm trying to think how to, how to word this without sounding insane. Um, what if it is true, when you look at a circle, a circle cannot be a square. The, the, a circle yeah. is a circle because it is round. That, 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 that is what it is. So what if a universe, of the, 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 the property of the universe is that it, it has to uh, appear out of nothing. And it's something we could mm. not observe because we are within this universe. I know it's extreme, but mm -hmm. that, that's just another kind of line of thought I've had. It's something we would never know about. And, you know, I, to me that getting into what God is, is, is probably the most extreme thing anyone can believe. And so when I'm thinking or considering these arguments, I, I try and stay within the natural as much as possible. Yeah. And I guess that would be my last line of defense there. Um, again, no idea if that made any sense, but <laughs> yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think what you're saying is, and, and I've definitely heard, uh, and I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert on this. I just listen to people that are experts on this, but I have heard, you know, astrophysicists and mathematicians saying you can't apply the laws of physics, whether it's Newtonian physics or Einsteinian physics that work within the universe. Um, they may or may not apply outside the universe. If we could get outside the universe, and if we can't, of course we can't get outside the universe. So I think that is a, I mean, what do you say to that, right? Um, on on the other, on the flip side, it's like, well, what rules are we going to try then? You know, is it just like what what other? Yeah. You know? But but I definitely hear what you're saying that this argument is based on, you know, a certain type of causation that we see that that works here. But it could be that this universe just has a certain property that works outside of it um, that we can't observe from inside. I hear what you're saying with that. Yeah, I, th I think we're with this argument, like we're getting to a point where, where we weren't there. No one really knows what, what could have happened before. And so it, it's just, for me, it's a matter of which, which do I think is more likely, you know, it's um, mm -hmm. you always, it, it's most more than not the case that the simplest explanation is the, is the correct one. And so for me, it, it's, it's, it's simpler for me to believe that a property of universes is that they must, they must exist. And rather than saying, well, now I, since I don't know, I'm now going to make an argument for an actual being that who is infinitely more complex than our universe. Uh, I think that's a, that's a harder task or a harder one to believe anyway. Um, but I'm actually, I'm willing to go into the second part of this argument about sure. what that God must, was, what but must be, um, if you want to get, if you want to get into that. Sure. And I, I mean, uh, that's, that's great. Um, we had talked before too, that I think a lot of these kind of come down to a truce. It's like, I think these arguments are very compelling. I think the cosmological argument is a very compelling argument. Some, some other arguments I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, the problem of evil is a real problem that Christians have a hard time with. The old Testament is quite difficult um, to explain certain things in it but the Kalam cosmological argument uh is really quite a solid one but it still does come down to things where it, it does depend what you feel is the easiest to believe uh and i i find it easier to believe that god mm -hmm. exists but that's you know it's so 
the teleological argument, let's move there. Um, so there's this, this is a cumulative argument uh, that I would make, um, meaning I'll just pile a bunch of stuff up and then you, know, you can respond to that as a, as a whole. So not only is, um, did our universe begin to exist, but it began to exist with a fantastic amount of precision. And this is something that astrophysicists have discovered recently that you know, the strong and weak force of the atom and the amount of entropy in the universe. And um, for, there was something else, the, the amount of matter, I believe, um, had to be precisely fine-tuned. And again, I'm not an expert in this, but they say it's, it's you know, 10 to the big number. You know, it's like extremely unlikely that these things would be exactly like that. Uh, and it's a real problem that astrophysicists are trying to figure out why was it so precise. Um, th then we can look at uh, the Goldilocks conditions for a life-permitting planet. We used to think that what you needed to have life was to be the optimal distance from a life-permitting sun, um, a, a distance that allowed liquid water. Um, too close and it'll evaporate too far away and it'll freeze. Well, also you need a solar system that doesn't have very many asteroids. And the way that that was accomplished for us is we have Jupiter, which is this guy, ginormous planet that sucks up all the asteroids in our solar system. If now you need rocks in your solar system, but you can't have, because otherwise you wouldn't have rocky planets, but if you have rocks, you're gonna have asteroids. So we have this very unlikely situation of a rocky solar system, but with a giant planet to suck up all the rocks. Another unlikely factor is that the Earth has an iron core that enables us to have a magnetosphere, which protects us from the solar wind. Um, the solar wind is what stripped the atmosphere off of Mars. They say likely Mars used to have an atmosphere with, water, with liquid water, but it was blown away by the solar wind, all this all these ionized particles that are coming off the sun. And for us, they just make a nice light show. We have the Northern Lights, that's all the, the sun's rays bouncing off and, and we're protected. Um, and the moon as well uh, agitates our oceans. The moon is a very huge uh, celestial body compared to the size of our planet. It was, uh, our planet was likely struck by a large meteor uh, many hundreds of several billions years ago. So, and this created um, something that agitates our oceans to create life in our oceans, to create enough motion that we have oxygenated water, which creates enough, which creates all these things. And there's about 60 different things that all need to fit like a combination lock to the point where we have a habitable planet where even evolution could happen, where life could happen. So again, that's a cumulative argument and there's more things that could have been thrown in there. Um, but those things make it to me seem more probable that there is a designer of some sort that is uh, involved in, in trying to make this a good place for, for life to exist. Um, I mean, everything you said there also makes sense if you're, you're a naturalist. Like if, if God... <laughs> God's God, if he wanted to create this world, this universe for us, he could have done it. He, all of these, these arguments, these fine-tuning arguments, and then the billions of years it took for us to get here to this point seems quite unnecessary. And, but if you're looking at the world from a naturalist point of view, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I, I, on the, the fine-tuning stuff, it, 
yeah, it is pretty crazy how how all of these these things line up to make this world possible for us to live in. But I could just say if things were different, then things would be different. Like we don't know what it would be like. Um, and it, it's possible that in what I was talking about earlier about other universes, that things are that way. Um, and I, I know you know I'm going to bring this up, but with the puddle analogy, I just I think it's so perfect is that you know, the, the people don't know a puddle becomes sentient and looks around and says, man, there's this, there's this hole here and, and my contents fitting it perfectly. And man, I, I, you know, this, this was made for me. And then the sun starts to dry it up and it desperately tries to find a reason to stay alive and it dies and it doesn't even realize it. And so for us, it's like, we, you know, we weren't here for billions and billions and billions of years, all these crazy things happened. And all of a sudden we pop up and it's like, Hey, this was all made for us, but in fact, it's the other way around. We are products of the universe um, and not for it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And again, if, if you just look at the, the everything you explained in the scope of this universe and how every other planet that we've seen, all, all of the, 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 the craziness of our universe, it's really not meant for us like at all. And the, when you talk about Mars, like it very, it could have been possible that Mars could have had life, but Mars is a puddle that someone walked by and filled with asphalt and the life was never ended up becoming aware that it could have filled that, that, that hole and which very easily could have happened to us. And I'm, I'm sure has happened elsewhere in the galaxy. Um, but uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so yeah, so there's three things uh, that I heard you say that I want to respond to. Um, first of all, that God could have done it quicker and easier, and that because of the amount of time, and, and I'm an old Earth creationist, I'm open to evolution. I don't have a fixed belief on that, but I certainly believe the universe is very old and that matter comes from stars. I don't think that God just snapped his finger 6,000 years ago and everything came into being. I know that I know some Christians believe that I, I, I have nothing but respect for you. I just, that's not my personal belief. Um, so certainly when you think of how old the universe is and how big it is, uh, I can hear, I can understand what you mean by saying this, this wasn't for us. We aren't the point of this. Uh, this is so much bigger and so much older than us for this tiny little blip on this tiny little planet, super recent. Um, but from my perspective, um, I don't think it's at all inconsistent to think that God took his time creating this and that, um, if, I mean, it's, it's really elegant when you think about it, he did all of this. It, I mean, I'm getting into carpentry and I'm making stuff for the kids and working with my hands. And I mean, it's elegant to think that he started with only hydrogen and then he had this system where he would, you know, create gas clouds and then he would create stars and then the stars would get super hot and then inside of the stars he would create the basic building blocks for future planets and then they would blow up and they would fly all over the place and then they would create planets and more stars and then they would blow up and and eventually you know it gets to us and you know there were many millions of years of of life on the planet before us and one cause of that is creating um, biodiversity and also creating nutrient rich soil, uh, which takes a long time to develop and also creating fossil fuels um, for our wonderful industrialized uh, world. I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse, but um, <laughs> you know, that's another thing that you can spin either way. Um, and I choose to spin it as, you know, God spent all this time making a world just for me. 
Um, but but I hear you on your side as well that like, well, why didn't he just snap his finger 6,000 years ago? Um, now you mentioned the puddle, the puddle analogy, which I think is a really, really common. I think that's, I hear this one a lot in debates, uh, also known as the anthropic principle that look, um, well, the anthropic principle it is very common. Like, like you can go in nature and you think you see a human face where there are, there is no human face. And it's just a, a basic human response to, to see humanity or to, you know, think that an animal is like a human when you're just seeing yourself reflected back. So I do recognize that as a human, that's a human propensity. And that is a valid explanation. If you're looking for an explanation, I sure like that is one possibility of how we created God. We just, you know, projected ourselves onto the sky basically. Um, But I would push back on the teleological argument to say, yes, but at a certain point, um, it does seem extremely unlikely that all these things would line up. And uh, in order for, um, oh, this is a double thing here. I'm trying to figure out how to stay organized. Um, there's not a way to say it without this. Okay, well, for one thing, it's not entirely clear to me that we have an infinite number of rolls of the dice And it seems to me that for the anthropic principle to work, we would need an almost infinite number of rolls of the dice. And then it's just like, you know, if I keep rolling enough, then at some point the dice is going to be lined up to what we have today. Uh, And so you, you need the multiverse for that to work, which is another discussion. But also I don't think that what we're seeing is just a simple roll of the dice. I think it's, it's more than just a number. It seems like, this situation is fine-tuned for life um, in, and, and life is specificity. It's not just randomness, it's, it's specificity. Um, you know, you, you could throw um, Scrabble on the ground and just get a random number or a random word. And it's extremely unlikely that you would ever have that. If you throw them on the ground, it says Mississippi, that's specificity because it's specifying something outside of that. And it is so much more unlikely that you would get something specific like that. And it seems to me that biological life is something um, specific that you would need to design for. Um, Am I making sense with this? Um, Yeah, can you elaborate on that last point just a little bit more? Sure. So, the difference between specified, what was my term here? Specified precision versus random uh, precision. Like you could, you could come to, you know, a place in nature and say, there's no other place in nature that's exactly like this with the rocks and the trees and everything like this. So that's precise, that's precision, but it is random. It doesn't serve any purpose other than existing as it is. Now, if you went to a bus and you sat down in the seat and you, you noticed that it, it formed to you, like it, it was exactly designed for you, you would say, well, there's something here that seems like it's been created for me. 
And if you push the envelope more and, and you look down and there was a thumb pad and you put your thumb on that and it read your thumbprint and then like a little screen opened up and it read your irises and it said, hello, Lee Zook, how are you? you at, some, at a certain point you would say, okay, this is random. There's no other place on the planet like this likely, but it's also specified. It is, it, it's, it's um, this is designed for me. Uh, this is a place that has been custom made for somebody exactly like me. And my argument is that biological life is something that um, that is specific. It's not random. It's not like if you shake the dice, um, you'll accidentally happen upon it. It's something that um, that is specified, if that makes sense. And so the fact that we have a universe that... Um, that all works with biological life is not like a puddle because a puzzle, a puddle is not specified that just forms to, you know, the, the, the shape of, of the mud that it's in, but biological life is something that's specified. Does, does that clear up what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it does. Um, so I'm trying to just make, I'm trying to keep all this together. Um, I guess what I would say first is that, you know, you back on talking about how the, the, the world seems like, made for us i mean we are a very very small part of a, of a giant universe that is uninhabitable on one planet in a solar system where all the other planets are inhabitable mm -hmm. the planet's surface 70 percent of it is uninhabitable to us the sun gives mm -hmm. us life but it also gives us cancer it, it to me that just it seems like a very very poor design and even even with humans like we're very poorly made especially when you compare us to a lot of animals out there um but uh so with uh the, the, the last thing you said there so uh, again, I think that back to what I was saying earlier about me trying to keep things as simple as possible, we now have a very good understanding of how, of, of the laws of this universe and how everything works, how a matter is, is created, how, how elements are created, all of these things. And then as, as far as evolution goes, like we have a very good understanding of, of once you have life, how that life diversifies. And so again, I'm, I'm not really seeing any reason to, to insert a, a God in here. Um, to me, again, that's, that's just, that's taking it an extra step when we don't really need that. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And that's coming back to your previous argument about what is simplest for you. Um, you know, and, and we could discuss that, like what is, and, and that's something that gets thrown around a lot. Who gets to decide what, um, what the neutral starting point is, uh, you know, if, if there's no proof or who, who bears the burden of proof, right? If there is, if it's a tie, do the atheists win or do the Christians win? Um, yeah. So, so I hear what you're saying with that, uh, that it just seems less likely to yourself. Um, this was a, a cumulative argument about what is more likely. And to me, it seems as mm -hmm. though at a certain point, and, you know, maybe it connects on an emotional level with myself to just say, because the more things that it seems like the progression of science is not, you know, we started off thinking that the world was orderly, but the more that we examine it, the more we find it's random chaos, right? The more that we examine the universe, the more that we find, oh, there's more precision. Oh, there's more precision. Oh, there's more things that had to be just this way for there to be a life permitting planet. And um, it just seems 
to me, like there are so many layers of things uh, in place to create human life, to create biological life that, you know, to me, it seems almost miraculous, but there again, it's not a firm proof. It is a bit more of a cumulative evidence of what seems more likely to myself. Mm -hmm. And other people um, would do, would spin that slightly differently and probably do a stronger argument, but uh, that's how it seems to me. Yeah. I, like I said, for me, it's just, I, I see it there. I see a, a universe that's very flawed and definitely not made for us. Like even our planet is, does it, it can seem that way, but in reality, it is, it is not, I, it is not a very comfortable place to live for humans. Uh, it's all we have. And so we, we think it, it must've been made for us, but it's uh, I, I see ourselves as just a, a product of, of what, is here and we can without God explain exactly how this planet got here, how it changed and explain the diversity of life on it just by, you know, using science. And, and it's, I, I just don't see a need to go. I, okay. There's a, there's a want for me to, uh, we talked about this in the last one. I, mm -hmm. I do. I think the idea of a, of a personal God is very appealing and I, I actually do in fact miss it, but to be, I guess, consistent with myself, I, I have to go with what seems simpler to me and mm -hmm. adding on a God to something that we can explain fairly well. I, I just, I, I can't, I can't take that step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and fair enough. Uh, these are things that, that make it seem more likely to myself um, and seem like you know, I think they are strong arguments, but uh, they're not 100% convincing to everyone. Um, you had mentioned life, that once there is life, um, then we know how it diversifies. That is something that a lot of people will capitalize on, is that actually we don't know how life began, uh, how that leap was made from non-organic matter over to organic matter. Um I don't know. Do you have a comment on that about, you know, the origins of life as being a, uh, an evidence for God? Um, so the origin of life, that's something I, I am by no means an evolutionist, not saying I don't, I don't believe in it. I just have not devoted much of my time to studying yeah, it. I, I, I have heard, I've heard back and forth things. We have reproduced life in those conditions. We haven't. Um, yeah. So I, I, that is something that, that I struggle with a bit. Um, but like everything else that we have not known and we know now it's because of science. Science is, is always moving us forward and always increasing our knowledge. And so I do have faith that at some point we'll believe that. And that's another reason why I, I have found myself on the side of, of trusting science over religion is that mm -hmm. a, a lot of religious people will, will say that it's, you know, Oh, well, 30 years ago, scientists, you should say this now they say this it's like well mm -hmm. yeah that's that's what's great about science that's what's great about science, we're always yeah. moving forward and we're always changing and so with religion it's it's often the opposite where you you can't like you're you're, you're told how the way things are and then yeah. it seems when new science comes in it's like oh well th this was always here you just had to read it this way mm -hmm. and so uh i think that even even if we don't know how it started they may uh, but even if we don't i i do have faith that we will find out and um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I admit that that is a point there that's 
it, you know, it, it's a bit. Sorry, I lost. Exactly. Once life okay. is created, how it how it uh, does divert. Oh, the we. What we do know for a fact, though, is is once you do have life, like we know exactly how it diversifies, and that is one hundred percent understood. Um, so we're close. Um, yeah. But I, I is with with my worldview, I would, I, I'm willing to admit I, I don't know that, but I'm I'm not going to try and come up with something or explain something to fill in that hole. It's you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I just want to say, I appreciate you admitting when, you know, some things are a little bit weaker or harder for you to explain from your worldview. I'll fully admit that some things are hard to explain from my worldview. It's hard to explain why God would allow cancer, rape and wars um, and be a loving God. Like that is just, it's hard to really explain. Although I have books on my shelf that try and explain it and do a reasonable job. It, it is, you know, anyway, so they, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I do want to just comment that um, I absolutely hear you with science versus faith or science versus religion. And, um, you know, maybe in a past life, I would have said, no, like Christians don't believe that, um, you know, Christians are open to science. Um, this year has absolutely shown me that is bullshit. There are a lot of, of people that will say, I don't believe science. I believe the Bible. And, um, you know, regarding pandemics and masks and, and all sorts of stuff. And I, I really think that that comes down to uh, um, anti-scientific views of, of how the world was created in six days, 6,000 years ago, and things that we, people were taught uh, when they were younger. Um, so I definitely hear you that there's a lot of people out there that read the Bible like a science textbook, and that has never gone well. I don't think that the Bible is a science textbook. I think it's a collection of ancient literature. And as you read that ancient literature, which I do believe that these people were in communication with God, um, with, with the being that we would call Yahweh or God, um, I do think that there's insights and things that we can learn from that. But I don't think it's a science textbook. And I, I very much am not interested in, in trying to refute science from something that, that seems to be a biblical notion. Uh, I am a very positive towards science. And I think that this is the direction of a lot of Christians these days is very, being very positive to science and open to an older universe and things like this. Um, yeah. I did not know you were an old, I did not know you were an old earth creationist. And to me, that is one of the first signs. If, if, if someone talks about being young earth creationist, I, I, I almost have to just end the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I actually, um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. I, and, and uh, that was something that um, uh, I remember when I was uh, still a Christian, I remember watching the Ken Ham debate with oh my uh, goodness Bill Nye. i'm not sure if you've seen it and i just remember i was so hyped i watched for about 10 it minutes of i it. didn't know much about ken ham <laughs> i was stomping around my room i was like no 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 <laughs> yeah um but uh yeah no it's uh, talking i don't want to jab at the bible much but like uh sure. when you talk people try and convince me the bible is a scientific book they'll say like oh well 
the Bible told people not to eat seafood because God knew that seafood had bacteria in it and if they ate it, mm-hmm. they get sick. And I'd say, well, or just enough people ate seafood and died. So they wrote it in their book. If God really mm-hmm. wanted to make it a science book, he would explain the theory of germs and stuff like that. But there's no new information. The Bible doesn't give us any new information. It doesn't make predictions. And for that reason, I, I think it's a garbage science book. But um, anyway, I don't want to get yeah. into that. <laughs> well, sure. It's on topic. I, I don't, I think that people read science back into the scriptures. Like, um, like yeah. there was a, a Christian, like a fundamentalist Christian that showed me a pamphlet one time. And, you know, this is, a, this is how it happens. Like there's nobody in charge of who publishes what, right. And this guy had this pamphlet about like, here's all the science in the Bible. And he had this verse pulled out of context about how, the earth is a circle and so he's like there you go like they knew that that the earth was a sphere way back when you know and and i forget everything that was on the page but i looked at that and i was like this is bullshit like there's no way that for that four thousand years ago uh the ancient jews were like oh yeah the earth is a sphere at the center at you know the in the in a in a solar system at the edge of the milky way galaxy Mm -hmm. like no sorry they didn't um, they had a primitive cosmology that, uh, and that it's somewhat debated what that was, but, um, you know, they had a basic understanding of the world being probably flat ish. Uh, maybe there was a mm-hmm. bubble around it and then there was eternal waters outside of that. That would have been very common, uh, in the ancient near East. Um, now I do believe in revelation. I don't know if we want to go there or not. Um, that might get us off top pick and we have about 10 minutes left. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just a few minutes left. I, I don't know if I'm ready to go into there in this discussion, but uh, maybe I'll just tie up what I mean by science. I, I think, you yeah. know, the Bible says about itself that um, people were inspired uh, through the Holy Spirit. And what that means to me is that um, God chose to speak through certain people way back when, um, and that the things that they said are partially human and partially divine. And there's all sorts of mystery about what is human, what is divine. But I do think that it's, it's deeply rooted in a culture uh, and you can't divorce it from the culture. You can't, you, you need to respect the gen, the, the genre in which it was written. You need to understand what is what um, you need to understand that people are primitive and, and they don't know modern science. Um, but also that there are, you know, eternal truths and eternal ideas that are written in the Bible. So that's kind of, I, I would, I would just always be against using the Bible like a science textbook. That I don't think that's what it's made to do. That yeah, makes sense. and uh, that, and I mean, you've made a, you and, and guys like William Lane Craig have made uh, more convincing arguments for God's existence than God has Himself. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, most everything that you've said in this conversation was not scripture. It was it? It was yeah. You know, it's, it's you you looking at, at, at the world and looking at the universe and, and, you know, coming up with your own, your, your own conclusions. And it really doesn't have anything to do with scripture. And I, I feel like, hmm. uh, I feel like God being all powerful and all knowing if, if he wanted to make a case for himself, he really could, and he could have used his word. But to me, the Bible is honestly, it's, it's what helped convince me he, he didn't exist more than anything mm-hmm. um it, it really did the opposite of i think what it people think it's supposed to do but um yeah go ahead uh sure um 
I, I will say that the Old Testament is um, like any time that you cross a cultural boundary, like you you leave your hometown in the United States and you you go across the world and you go, you know, into a straw hut in South Africa. Um, you need to have some sense of humility and understand that you don't understand everything that's going on in this culture and in this place, and that most of it has nothing to do with you. But if you stay and if you're patient long enough, you know, you can grow and you can learn things. Now, I don't think that Christians have modeled that very well. I think that we've stomped into the Old Testament and been like, aha, like, don't sleep with other men. It says right here, and like, here's a verse, and we'll pull the Ten Commandments out of context, and we'll do this and that. And treated it like a, like a science textbook meets a law textbook meets, you know, a self-help book. It's, it's a deeply contextualized ancient, ancient book, you know, and, you know, if you read the, the law code of Hammurabi, or if you read the Egyptian book of the dead, you know, you can read that with wide-eyed wonder and just be like, who, who the fuck were these people? And, and what, what led them to write this, you know, and, and you can have that sense of wonder the Bible unfortunately has been so polluted by modern Western ideas that it's hard to approach it with that childlike sense of wonder of like, wow, I'm reading something that was written like 4,000 years ago, parts of this. And, you know, was, was collected by people 2,500 years ago and like literally hasn't changed very much. And like, who were these people? And like, what were they thinking? And, you know, maybe I can learn something about that. Um, I absolutely hear what you're saying that if you just, approach it like Christians tend to approach it it and then you're honest about what you're reading because Christians make all these promises that aren't true like oh just read the Bible and you'll agree with me it's like no <laughs> you know like yeah. oh they'll just take a pull a few verses out of the Old Testament like hey like um Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho and they fell down yeah it's a fun story yeah well he also marched in there and killed every man woman child and animal as God told him to so, mm -hmm. so like, you know, people grow up and they start reading the actual stories that are in the kids books and they're like, holy shit, like what's going on here? Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think that the, pro the bigger problem is, is hermeneutics and how we've been told to read it. And I think the way we've been told to read it is it, it just simply doesn't work. But I think that there is a beautiful book behind there if we can get back to it and appreciate it for what it is. I, I I do appreciate the Bible for what it is. I also, again, using it as an argument for God, I think everything you just said, and there's more to me, in fact, disproves him though, especially when you talk about the argument of morality. Um, and, you know, it, morality is is literally the, the character of God. And it, to me, it's kind of funny how it's like God is all loving. He defines what love is. And everything that we experience in our daily lives, we know exactly what is loving and what is, what is cruel. But as soon as God does something that is cruel, when he flooded the earth, how many abortions did he commit there? Mm -hmm. Whereas Christians today are, you know, so pro-life. Well, those people didn't have a choice, those babies, mm -hmm. you know, maybe their culture was too far gone, but we argue that today, Hey, they're, you know, Hey, this baby's going to grow up in a, in a family that's uh, or in a, in a system that's going to be cruel to it. Well, let the baby choose. God didn't let those baby cho babies choose. And we recognize that now as being cruel, but when he does it somehow all of a sudden this extreme cruel thing, when it's God becomes this even crazier, it's, it's love beyond what we can imagine. And I, I, I've heard this analogy and I really like this. Uh, 
when you talk about like uh, someone allowing someone to suffer, if, if you have a father who, who loves his child and he, the child falls down and hurts his tooth and has to get his tooth removed or else it's going to rot, it's hard for him to explain to his child, hey, you're going to feel pain, but it's for the better. Trust me. You know, a few weeks down the road, you, you would be experiencing worse pain. It's hard to explain that to him, which is like God talking to us. Maybe there's there's this this uh, cruelty or this suffering because down the road, it, he's saving us from something better. But if the father knew that there was a procedure that the kid didn't have to feel any pain, period, and he had the ability yeah. to choose that, he has an obligation to do that. God is all powerful. And so all of these excuses for his cruel acts, like, he knows how to get around that. And again, if something is, is cruel and it, it like, how can God go against his character, no matter what the justification is, he, he, sh he should be, it should be impossible for him to actually contradict his own nature. Um, and so there are, there are stories people will say, Oh, well, God, God didn't tell them to do it. They did it on their own or God told them, but they, they're the ones who did it. Well, no, God killed those people. God killed the uh, Cora and his entire family for simply questioning Moses on why they couldn't talk to God directly as well. And when his other followers questioned that he sent a plague on them yeah. and killed over 40,000 people. It's, it's like, again, how can he go against his character? It, it, to me, when, when he, once he cons contradicts his own nature, he doesn't exist to me. And I don't really care. Like the culture is awesome to explore, but God should also, if, if he is eternal and he, he defines what is good and what is bad, what is loving and what is cruel, then culture and time shouldn't matter. He should have told people don't own people as property. Don't rape these women. He shouldn't have mandated it or come up with rules. Right. That, it should have been way beyond that. And that there would have shown me that, wow, this God really was way ahead of his time. Like he was saying things that just would have blown their minds that today, even today, we, you know, there's some of these things that are still going on. Like, you know, we, we tend to say, we know what's right and wrong now, but um, like, yeah, for him to, to stand up to those people at that time and say, no, this is wrong. This is what you should be doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. That would have been way stronger proof that maybe there's something to, to him. Um, that was a lot. I'm sorry. That was a, a long rant. <laughs> No, that's great. Uh, and you know, it highlights how everything is connected. Um, I've jotted down, like from here, it branches out into talking about the problem of the Old Testament as far as God's nature, talking about the problems of the Old Testament as far as, you know, why God allowed human sin when it seemed like he could have done, done it a different way. Um, the question of goodness, the moral argument, you know, we know what goodness is, what, what help is God in that, um, the problem of pain. Um, and so obviously, I, you know, we can't go into all these things. Um, I'm going to pause it for a second here. All right. Okay. So I see that our time is almost at the end. I'm, I'm having a blast and I hope that we do this again soon, seriously. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll just respond to what you're saying. You started this off by saying you can't use the Bible as an argument for God. And actually in what I presented, I'm not using the Bible as an argument for God. Uh, I think in this context, the, the Bible could be used as an argument against God. Uh, so then you would bear the burden of proof for that. Right now I'm using, again, the Kalam cosmological argument, the teleological argument um, to prove that it's more likely that God exists. And you're right that, that that comes from philosophy, that comes from apologetics, doesn't come from the Bible, but I think it's still valid. Is there something you want to say? 
uh, well, on, on that, I'll say, yeah, I, I'm not going to say those arguments are invalid. I, uh, it is um, everything you're saying. I mean, logically, it, 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 and it is consistent. And so it is all pieces like be, that are being put together. And so I think the Bible is, is a, a terrible uh, tool to use in, in, in proving God. And that's why in the last thing I said, even if you could convince me of, of these other arguments, that doesn't lead me to Jesus. Um, but I'm not going to say that your arguments are flawed at all. I mean, they are rational, they make sense. And I have to do all sorts of crazy maneuvers to, to, to try and get around them. And so I, I, I do to some level accept those arguments. I, and, but I will say the Bible, I think when people try and use, use scripture to, to argue for the existence of God, I do believe for the most part that is pretty irrational, um, it, it, if that makes sense. Um, for sure, it makes sense, yeah. Especially depending you, on how you structure the argument. If you just say, I believe in God because the Bible tells me that God exists, that is a patently circular argument, and it's very foolish to try and make that as any sort of an argument. Yeah. No, I, but before we jumped on, I guess the yeah, last thing, before um, uh, you made that last point, um, talking about a cruel God, one, I think the one thing that's that uh, to me, I think is the, is the cruelest thing is, is um, first of all, us existing on in this world, just, just existing in this world, period. Um, a, a good God would want us to live a life where there is absolutely no suffering, no pain, no sadness. Um, but a lot of people that I talk to will say like, you know, well, this, this world is, you know, we need to experience these things and because there, there's no way to grow in, in that kind of world, a, a perfect world. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they kind of, they, they talk about virtues. Well, I, I don't think virtues are intrinsically valuable. I think, you know, the only reason we have courage is because there's things to be afraid of. And so sure, someone who steps up and becomes courageous, that is, that is a good experience for them. You could say they, their character changes, they become stronger, but in a world where there was nothing to be afraid of, you wouldn't need courage. So courage only right. has value when there's, there's something to be scared of. And so the more suffering you take away, I think the, the better things get, even though we may not grow the same way we would here. And a lot of people do have take issue with that. They, they, they like these virtues and, but then I, I will bring up, well, what is heaven then? Heaven is a place where there are none of these things. There can't be. Mm -hmm. And so if, if that's good enough for eternity and, and, and for after this world, if that's the, the perfect existence, it, why, why couldn't he have started with that? What is the point of, of all this other stuff if ultimately that is the, the, the perfect thing? And you and I, like, well, I'll say when I was a Christian, we don't believe in hell. I don't know what you believe to the people who, who don't. I don't know what you think happens to people who don't believe, but... I think just in introducing this world saying we couldn't start this world off because we'd all be robots. So we have to suffer so that we can become robots is just stupid to me. Why um, do you think we would become robots? Well, we, we, a lot of people will say, to, well, and, and this, this is true. This world is flawed because you say free will and, and sin and yes. things like that. Okay, and so, so again, go. why in, in, in a, a perfect world where there is no suffering, no sadness, no hurt, nothing to be afraid of. What, what would we do with our free will? Like it, it to me, I, I can't see free will actually existing in there. And so from my point of view, like if that's so bad to start with, 
but we finished with that. That's the end goal. Why couldn't we have just started and finished with it? Um, especially when you, when, when, a, when a two-year-old stubs its toe, when it's 80, it doesn't think about that pain. This earth and this experience in the light of eternity means absolutely nothing. What, what is the point of making us suffer for this brief blip of not, in our existence? Mm-hmm. If not just, I guess, for the enjoyment of a sick God. Uh, sorry, go sure. ahead. <laughs> yeah, so now we're very thoroughly in the realm of the, the moral argument and the problem of pain. I'm not sure how much, how much time we have to get into it because you said you do have to go. This is probably the last but, thing. Yeah, I, I would say that um, like kind of the classic defense that you've alluded to is, look, a world without suffering would be a world without free will because, you know, if you don't want suffering, just make robots and then they won't hurt each other. And, um, you know, Christians would, would also um, connect natural suffering, at, you know, volcanoes and hurricanes and stuff like that to moral evil that uh, the reason that there's suffering in the world is because of human sin. That's a big discussion. Um, and the, the brief answer is that the way we can have free will in heaven is because we've made our choice here on earth and we, we freely choose to do good. Um, I, I know that's an unsatisfactory answer and it would be good to, to elaborate more on it. I do think that, there, that it's possible to have free will and not sin. I think if you think about like, okay, here's your son. Now play with him for 30 minutes without sinning. I think you could handle that quite well. I think there's a lot of things you could imagine to do in 30 minutes that don't involve, you know, any sin. Uh, I think that in heaven, um, we will be morally perfect and we will be in the presence of God. By the way, heaven comes to earth, not the other way around. So we're going to be talking about a perfected creation with trees and dirt and and flowers and all that sort of stuff. So that, that gives us something to do at least. Um, And yeah, but off the table will be hurting one another and off the table will be, you know, destroying God's creation. It'll, it'll be, you know, and we are told that we can't even imagine what it's going to be like, which is perhaps a convenient thing to say because (laughs) then you don't have to explain it. But anyways, that's all I got in the time that we have for this. Yeah. I think this is something we're going to have to come back to because now my mind is just spinning on this. (laughs) Yeah. Um can I summarize what I think we said and then you summarize what you think we said and then we can close? Does that oh, make sense? To think about. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, in, in brief, you know, we talked about the Kalam cosmological argument. We talked about whatever begins to exist. Um, whatever came to exist had a cause. We talked about causation. And um, I said that the universe definitely came to exist. There wasn't debate on that. And that it seems as though God is the best cause uh, for the universe. Um, it's a better cause than just imagining it coming out of nothing with no form, uh, no pattern, no nothing. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the te- teleological argument, there's a lot of um, ways that our world is finely tuned for life. And we haven't even got into all of them here, but uh, it does seem as though um, it's the perfect place for biological life and biological life is not just something random. It's something that would need very specific parameters, which is why we're trying desperately to find another planet out there. And we're not having a lot of luck finding a planet just like ours, although there are a few possibilities. Um, and yeah, we talked about, um, about God and the moral argument. And yeah, there's a lot here that we just want to talk about next time. I think, um, 
yeah. So that's kind of what I got. Uh, it was talking about the Kalam and the, and the teleological argument, and then just kind of footnoting it here to talk about the moral argument next time. Yeah, I need to start taking notes like you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I filled up a whole sheet <laughs> with stuff we yeah. talked about. <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess so. For my point with the Kalam, uh, it's just it's way. I I go with what seems simpler, and to me, uh, staying with the a, a universe from nothing. Um, I, I don't feel like I need to add anything onto that. Uh, like we talked about uh, universes coming to nothing all the time, even though it sounds extreme. It is something that we've experienced, and I'm I'm not attributing any type of character to, to something outside of it. It's just simply, this is the way the universe is. Um, uh, it's all, so then the uh, teleological, uh, again, I, I see it the complete opposite where this world, this universe and our planet is, and our place in time in this universe is just so not tuned for us. Uh, like where I was saying with, you know, other, every other place, every other planet it is, could just be the example of uh, a puddle that was filled in before uh, the water was able to make it in there. Um, if things were different, then things would be different and we wouldn't know the difference or we wouldn't experience it at all. And so um, I think everything that has happened uh, can be explained why it's happened the way it is without the, the need for a God. Um, and science will just continue to keep learning more and more. Um, and then the moral argument, man, that's a lot there. That's something I'm, I'm not done with. I think that I really want to come back and talk more on that. And that gives me sure. another chance to talk about veganism because what vegan doesn't like to keep talking about veganism. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I appreciate your time. And we went 10 minutes over what you said you could do. So uh, my apologies to your wife and I'm going to go apologize to my wife and we'll go have supper in our separate places. Yeah. And hopefully the world is, <laughs> is not burning down as we speak. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to stay off Facebook for the rest of the night. I'm I think so that's glad I moved away from D.C. <laughs> wow. Wow. So I, I moved times. from just south of D.C. to Dallas and feel a lot safer here. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks for your time, Lee. And we'll put this yeah, up man, in a couple thanks days. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Okay, cool. Awesome. Talk to you later. Yeah, bye.